What up, fam? It's the Rosillo Podcast. My name is Ryan. I host it. Makes a lot of sense. Sarudi is here. I feel like Sarudi hasn't talked a lot, although we did do quite a bit on your why did we not know Jalil Okafor would suck cake. So you were you were a big part of the last one. And by the way, yeah. big shout out to everybody. We are a week removed from the release of the Foxworth one, which I loved. I was a little curious if the audience was still going to love it. So keep reviewing, subscribing, the whole deal. We're now number four overall in um, the sports category, which I can tell you firsthand. Actually, it was secondhand. A lot of people didn't think that that would actually happen. So that's what's up. Yeah, that was secondhand. So do I sound a little bit more self-promotional? Yes, I do. Because if I were to speak to a class and they'd say, what would you have done different about your career? I would be like, I would have been a way bigger jerk, way more arrogant. Some people would say, is that possible? I go, no, no. I get arrogant about the stuff where people are just wrong, but day to day, humble, blessed. What are you going to do? I almost woke up today and sent out a tweet that said so many blessings and then hashtag blessings. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. So Rudy, I have a uh, a problem. I have an issue. Okay. By the way. Now you would say uh, if people who didn't like me talked about me, they would say, you know, they could say a few things. But I think one of the things I always kind of hear through the grapevine is that I'm moody. Definitely. Yeah. That like people say people that. around here would be like, Ryan's doing his thing today. Yeah. He's doing his thing today. What would my thing entail? Uh, y- probably yelling about something that we, that happened on the show, something that we didn't get to do or, um, lack of support. Lack or, of support would be. Yeah. Like, yeah or that anything was... like things being taken away, just things being harder for the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I would, I would offer up this and all those are accurate, but when I was moody, 99% of the time, it was because of work. Yeah. It was a work-related thing. So, like, here's an example. Ryan, why would you have been moody one day? And I'd go, okay, well, here's a day where we were really excited, and I found an hour and a half into the show that we're not on satellite, and no one said anything. That affected my mood, and I then became moody and would be upset and mad. And I don't think I would ever then, like, say to you or Michelle, go, I don't like you now. You just knew, okay, Ryan's in his mode and he's and he's going to be he's going to be yeah, mad. I just learned to sort of figure it out, deal with it. Yeah, cuz it was never personal. Like I that's that's I guess I would always say that like it'd be better if I just rolled with every single little punch, but when I felt like okay, now the product that I'm putting my entire life into, something is happening to it that I have no control over, that drove me crazy and therefore I became moody guy in the hallway when it's like do you blame like my defense of me would be do you blame me? Like, I care about work that much. So, today, I was moody and it had nothing to do with work. And I'm a punk. And I don't know what to do with it. So, that's why... What happened? We- so, I, I ha- yeah, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I, I may lose this house in Los Angeles, which I didn't want to show anybody Whoa. any of the pictures. Okay? And it's new construction. It's taken longer. And it's taken longer for me to move out there because it is new construction. And it was kind of this gentleman's understanding of like, hey, this is when it's supposed to be ready, but it might not be ready by then. But are you still in? I was like, yeah, I'm in. But now I may lose my mortgage lock on the rate. And then the other day, you know, somebody suggested, well, since you kind of agreed to this gray area thing and the rate extension may be on you and it's a thing on the purchase price, like it's going to be thousands of dollars. And then you're going to have to pay it, not the seller, unless you just want to bail and take your money back. So you go, all right, let's not be emotional. This is a big deal. I do like this house. Um, I don't really like being felt like I'm being pushed around. If I have to do another, 
I swear to God, so many people that work for these mortgage companies, like, what do you, what do you talk about at happy hour? Like, Hey, do you have that client that you're working on? Yeah. What did you work on today? Oh, I sent him an email asking him to send me the paperwork he had already sent me a month ago. And then he said, Hey, I've already sent this to you a month ago. And then I responded to him. Could you just, I don't know, send it again. And then I clocked out. Yeah. Just, just send it again. I got a to-do list of like five things that I'd already done. It was like, Hey, welcome to the party. But like, check the emails. Could you just, could you send another attachment? You know, so I'm, I'm dealing with that. So that's never fun. You know what that's like. Mortgage, grown up, Rudy. So I go to the gym and I'm talking to a GM, humble brag, on the phone. And then a crazy guy starts complaining to me that he doesn't get paid enough to, I don't know what the hell he was talking about. I was like, bro, I'm trying to break down an NBA draft prospect right now. Got to walk away. And then there's these kids, and this is where I want you to jump in. I'm noticing that when I look at younger kids at the gym, I'm getting worried if I just think that they're dumbasses. Can we keep that in, or does that have to be beeped out? That has to be beeped out, too. I think we're okay. I think we're okay. I just I want to swear in that sentence so bad. I don't need to swear, but I want to there. I'd like to say something worse, but there's a couple of these high school kids at the gym that take up the bench forever. Like if you, me and the other kind of old school guys that, you know, like to throw a little weight around, you know, get six plates on there just to make sure everything's moving in order. I'll look at him and go, all right, cool. That guy's here. He's the kid from high school. He's actually a decent sized high school kid, but they take up the bench forever. And that in itself, I'm like, okay, respect flat bench. At least you're not doing CrossFit. Shout out to all the CrossFitters. But, and I have no problem with CrossFit. It's just that. Let's face it. Like you think you're now an athlete because you're buying stuff from Roan and you know, to go up and down with a with a straight bar. You know, some of you guys are awesome basketball players, but some of you, let's not kid ourselves, you're you're like you kind of feel like you're an athlete all over over again at like thirty years old and you're keeping track of stuff and there's a stopwatch and like that's kind of the thing. Like you're excited and I'm look, get in the gym anyway you gotta get in. But people love feeling like they're more of an athlete than they really are, especially somebody that maybe wasn't good at the ball stuff when they were younger. And now you're like, dude, I'm burpee central over here. Deadlift. There's a kid deadlifting 405 at our gym, and he weighs like 170, and he thinks that our membership fee was an entry fee to watch him deadlift because he takes up everything 30 minutes in between sets. Um you know, it's just once he's once he's doing his thing, it's over. And it's like, hey, four oh five is really good for a guy that's that small, but it's not like you're not you're not from Sweden. We talked about this before, right? I don't I don't believe that if you are if you if you do CrossFit and you deadlift four oh five and you do all this stuff, that's it's great for you and you tell everybody about it, that's cool. But if you can't not look like a fool in a pickup basketball game, you're not an athlete. That's my point. Right. It's kinda like golfers. Like golfers are always arguing well, golfers are athletes. And you go, you know what? We've got to stop making this stuff more complicated. The it's definition like, of athlete is playing a sport. It's not lifting weights. Yeah, but exactly. And so somebody would say, well, no, no, golfers are athletes because they're doing this, this, and dri- race car drivers are athletes. Yes, there is a demand on you physically when you drive a race car. There is a set of skills that you have to have. But like, you can't then say, well, cause, cause golf, I'm an athlete, then darts, I'm an athlete. It's the whole Die Hard is a Christmas movie thing. It's not a Christmas movie. It takes place during, is Schindler's List a movie about Thanksgiving? You know what I mean? So like, stop, stop making stuff more complicated. So that's why the CrossFitters are all pumped out. All right. Back to the high school kids that take up the bench the whole time. They'll put on, they don't quite put on 315, but they'll put, I'm trying to stack this up. Cause I've always, my two things that I wanted to do 
continuity director for sports on every single television show and every single movie. I will, I will help you out. And the other thing that happens in every single TV show and movie when there's a lifting scene, you have guys like benching seriously like 95 pounds and they're supposed to be like gang members in jail. Like you're afraid of the guy with 225 plates on there and you're like, figure it out. Or somebody will write a script and they round it up to a number that doesn't even make any sense unless they were using two and a halfs. And this is the longest I've ever sounded like a meathead and that's fine. <laughs> yes, but at, at 42 years old, I'm starting to want to pull high school kids aside, not in a creepy way, at the gym and go, hey, man, I know how I felt when an older guy wanted to help me. And I'd kind of be like, you know, I was probably one of the worst, like, hey, old guy, tell me more, surly hoodie dude. But they don't. They put on 300 pounds. They get it so it's 300. They take it off of the rack. The kid brings it down an inch and just sort of moves it that way and then he'll bang it out and say like did i get eight or did you help me on the eighth one they don't lift it they don't bring it down more than two or three inches and i want to along with steroid rick i want to say to them (laughs) hey guys we've been there i was scrawnier than you are you're a decent sized high school kid but you're not doing yourself you're going to hurt yourself you go you're going back to high school telling people that you repped out 305 eight times and really all you did was take it off of the rack and like hold it. It's really just to be like, what's my max? And they can just say 305. I get making up stuff and being in high school. Hell, I get guys, well, if you're lying about how much you lift in 40, you're kind of a tool. But, but here's the issue. Uh, and you, you, you just said it. What do I do? High school, you would not want to hear from current you about what you're doing wrong at the gym. So you're honestly just wasting your time if you try to go up to them and be like, hey, like here's a pointer or two, because they're not going to want to hear it. I don't understand why they spend so much time there, though. Like, what's so time? Did they do more than four reps? Oh, I my mean, God. Uh, no, sets? no, no. Like, it'll be 135, you know, 155, 185, 225, 275. And then they'll, they'll round four it up. Four sets each? Oh, they, they do. They take forever. They take forever. Steroid Rick, I've had to talk out of wanting to kill him. Say, I, that's dangerous. Yeah, because he's, he's a scary dude. And, you know, I think he has a missing tendon from a fight with a bull. And uh, I don't know that he knows that we have this nickname about him. So now, if you listen to the pod, no, but it's going to get back to him now. So that's that's my that's my local dilemma. And you know what I let it do? I let it put me in an awful mood. But it was compounded by potentially losing a house. And when people ask me to see pictures of the house, I don't want to show them to anyone because then I was like, you know, you're not sure that this deal is even going to close. And then I go, you know, I should have just gone to Shanghai and watched Jimmer in the playoffs since I've had this time, and then a lot of the mood is completely dictated on did I have a good writing day or a bad writing day? Because that's the other thing. As I'm on eight drafts now, one show that I kind of hate now that I used to love, and then I'm on the second draft of the other show, which I think is far more pitchable and way more interesting, but the first one I think is kind of like this cool little story. What's the hit percentage daily? I would say every other day is a good day writing, and then the days that are bad, my whole day sucks. Go, you said you could spend the day trying to figure out like a line, like the way to write a scene to end a scene or something. And it, and I'm I hope everybody understands this. That is far more accomplished than me in that medium because we have a lot of writers and and guys that listen to the radio show that still you know hit up the podcast and everything. Uh it's it's so hard. And I now watch movies and TV shows in a way of well, what was the writer trying to do there? Was the writer 
reaching his goal? Was this character getting out of the other character? Did it advance this? Did the Act 2 problem trump the Act 1 problem? Well, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Does that ruin stuff for you? Like, will you be like, it is right mm, now. could have been written. Could have been that was poorly written. It was rushed. Well, I'm not. I'm not one. Let's uh, let's sell something first, okay? okay? Fair, fair. Let's get hired. Yeah, by but now show. that you're in the biz, like yeah, you yeah. kind of have you have some inside knowledge of stuff that normal people would not. I, you, look, I could do the t- super arrogant of like, oh, my ideas are amazing, but I'm just too too much of a realist. Like somebody was asking me about a front office job at the NBA, and I said I'd probably do a better job of saying, you know, here are the reasons why you wouldn't hire me because of this reason with NBA teams, you know, nothing like I would say, this is problematic. This is more luck. This is, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anybody can fix your team. And I don't want to ever come on and be like, yeah, man, like, I think my ideas are pretty good. I think I'm starting to figure this thing out and it is very tedious. And yes, I have a really bad day. If I'm like, you haven't done, you haven't written a word that makes sense today, but I do start applying all these things that I'm trying to apply in my own daily deal with everything I watch. And it's really, really weird. What's your what's your setup like? Are you at a desk or are you just like dining room couch? table? A lot of jazz. Wow, nice. Yeah, I get up. I start. no mastodon. Different. No, I can't. The lyrics thing's weird. And then I'll look. I'll I'll get up and I'll act out the scenes walking around with my laptop in my hand. You should uh, tweet those out or at least like Periscope it once in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Something else to make fun of me of. So it's funny too because you write it down and then when you you start saying it out loud, you go that looked a lot better in writing than like no one would talk to anybody like that. But then I'm also trying to do like, you know, realistic stuff. Like I'm not doing fantasy. I'm not doing comedy. Writing comedy must be brutal. You know, well, I actually heard I was listening on the way in Levitard show was talking about comedy and how nothing stands up. Like, so you can listen to something you thought was hilarious because they were going back and listening to like their bits from 10 years ago. And they're like, these are terrible. They're not funny. No, it's so and true. Like writing comedy, like like Eddie is Eddie Mur- was Eddie Murphy's stuff still funny now? Yeah, that that's really tough. I mean, at least music, you go. I I love the song still. I'm also listening to a lot of Colonel Bruce Hampton again. That would be mm-hmm. that'd be a good question. What band do you wish had a third album the most <laughs> that didn't? And I would vote unless there's an EP from Colonel Bruce that I don't know anything about. Okay, so let's fight with the basketball world. So we got Jimmer Fredette coming up uh, in a little bit. We're going to talk with him probably 40 minutes or so. We're also going to do a Jimmer giveaway that's going to be incredible. Uh, I don't know any Chinese. International. So, yeah, giveaway. international. This podcast is going to the Far East, NBD. i give you a little update on me. I am packing up my house here in Connecticut either way because I rented it out next week. I'm shipping the car out next week, and I may not have a house. And if this house falls through, I'm probably going to move to Colorado for a little bit and do more writing. Because as of right now, I wake up every morning, I write, I go to the gym, I eat, I write. I've been watching that Wild Wild Country cult on Netflix, um, which I bang through. I got to tell you, these cults, they all start the same way. Dude's trying to hook up. That's it. I'm actually surprised more of my friends haven't started cults. Every time I watch a cult documentary, I go, okay, this one went a little too far. Like, how do you go from just trying to meet some girls to let's start bombing stuff? Um, But, yeah, they all start the same way. They all start the same way. So it's unbelievable. So last night I locked in, and I think this is really the only thing I'm going to talk about. The Kawhi thing's really interesting. How weird is that? Like, the team has to have a meeting to talk to him. That thing's pretty much over, huh? I've heard that he has an uncle that's in on this thing that's like, nope, the Kawhi thing, the Kawhi story, the marketing, the whole deal, no Spurs way, the Kawhi way, that like that's, they have teamed up and that is the goal. 
and that this thing is really nasty. And once again, we're all incredibly selfish about this because if you're a Spurs fan, you don't want to believe literally one piece of evidence, even though there's been multiple pieces of evidence, uh, to evidence telling you the exact same thing that this situation is super messed up. Isn't that funny? Like that's always the way it works. So Rudy's a magic fan, so he gave up. But if there were negative magic things, like did you not believe the Dwight Howard stuff when it was first happening? I was a Dwight defender for a long time, and yeah. then after the Stan Van like soda thing, where he put his arm around him, <laughs> I was done with Dwight. And they've been t- honestly, it's worth it that he's gone, and it's been what five or six years of tanking. It's worth it. Yeah, and just think, Dwight thirty for uh, thirty for thirty. That was um, his game last night, a 30-30. And then today in the jump, the, the graphic was, have we been overlooking Dwight? The same the same guy that left Atlanta and they couldn't get him out of there fast enough after like yeah. less than a season. And guess what? People are going to argue he's a Hall of Famer because his numbers are going to be sick. And that's when I would apply kind of the diehard common sense rule. You go, just because it takes Christmas doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie. You're trying to be difficult. You're a hot dog sandwich guy. Like, shut up. And... What you're, what I'd be saying is, I would go to like every NBA guy. I'd go, I'm like, yeah, okay, I know what his totals are. Did you ever feel like he was a Hall of Famer for the second half of his career? Is really what we're talking about there. Also, my dad's calling right now. We're gonna tape, I think, a pod with him next week, where he um, he met Wilt Chamberlain. He used to play in the preliminary basketball games when he was, I think, junior high age, right before he went to high school. And it was for this Connecticut legend who would get the Tommy Heinsohn, Bob Cousy, Wilt, Bill Russell. And then Wilt like pulled my dad out of a crowd because my dad's a pretty good player and talked to him. So we're going to have my dad do that story coming up next week. Tease ahead. I love Mr. R- Rosillo. R.H. Rosillo story time. So let's talk Toronto-Cleveland. Here's the problem. I don't know what that game means last night. I sat down, legal pad in hand, three pages of notes, locked in, no secondary game. Didn't put any other games up on TV, two or three. I just wanted to watch that game. I wanted to learn, can I buy into this Toronto team? Can Cleveland start to get their stuff cooking here again? Because after the trade, who did they beat? They beat Oklahoma City, and they crushed that Boston team that I was there in attendance for. Shout out to Paul Pierce. And... They they smoked him. I mean, they just took the life out of him early, which is weird because that actually doesn't, even when the Celtics lose, it didn't really happen to him that often. So we're going, oh, wow, you know, they made the necessary changes. And then they didn't win any impressive games in, like, forever. So let's scroll back for the Rye Man here, third person. Um, oh, there's a win probability tweet. Love those. Yes. Love win probability. Let me guess. It was a drastic swing. Yes. It just right at the very end, you thought Boston wasn't going to win. They won. The win probability was so low, and then it wasn't. All right, so since the Cleveland Post trade deadline, this tweet's from three days ago. You can follow me at Ryan Abrasillo. Wins against Boston, OKC. Cleveland's wins, and this is a month in the calendar. Memphis, Brooklyn, Detroit, Denver, Phoenix, Chicago. Five tanking teams in a playoff team that isn't a playoff team in Denver. Okay? And you could argue, like, you want to be, this is these are the arguments I hate. Oh, Brooklyn's tanking? All right, you get the point. Brooklyn's not tanking. They gave away all their picks. That should be illegal. But here's the overall deal. They didn't have an impressive win. And why did they not have an impressive win? Because they're awful on defense. So you go back to last night's game. What, does Toronto have an 80 spot at the half? And you're going, all right, despite the fact I thought Toronto stunk on defense, Cleveland just stunk more. And so I could give you all the matchups. I do that. I read out all the matchups, how they switch them. I could give you the rotations, who comes in when, Van Vliet, Jakob Pertle, 
Love him. And then it's Siakam. Good handle for a big guy. Siakam spent some minutes on LeBron defensively. Then it's DeLon Wright. And then it's Powell. And then they go with those five guys. Did Dwayne Casey go with those five guys a little too late into the fourth quarter? Well, it was a great third quarter from the Cavs. But then I was tweeting out, the defensive rotations are so bad for Cleveland. And you know who's at the root of a lot of it? LeBron. Okay? I don't know what you guys see that argue with me. I don't know what some of you guys that broadcast these games see. Now, to be fair, I'm rewinding every time something happens where I go, wait a minute, that looks wrong. And then I rewind it and go, and here's the deal. I have to do this preface thing, whatever. LeBron's the best player in the world. I'd want him. You knucklehead Sixers fans, and I've seen your DMs, by the way. I'm not going to be in Philly to fight you anytime soon, but thank you for the challenge. Uh Philly fans going, I'm not sure we want this guy. Lakers fans, is this really the right way to rebuild? You take him. You take LeBron. You figure it out, okay? You're going to figure it out. And I can understand Ben Simmons and LeBron playing with each other. That's a problem because Simmons can't shoot from the outside. Like, I understand. I am so much more pro-LeBron than I've now been given credit for because last night I tweet this out. I go, you know what? Lost in this amazing offensive season. And, of course, he ends up with 17 assists, the comeback, the great pass to Kevin Love because I had sent this tweet out about halftime in all these videos is that LeBron is the guy who screws up the help a ton. And the worst part isn't just that he screws it up. He then totally turns to another teammate with his hands out going, what What are you doing? Like, it's your fault. He had one where he didn't even bother to get out on Lowry and contest him, and then he kind of secondarily contested him, and Lowry sticks it in his face. There was no other guy. There was no other guy. And then he looks around at a teammate. So it's like, man, you want to be bad at defense. You want to be lazy on screen. Like, I get it. You're 15 and you're putting up these offensive numbers. I'm not even knocking you, but you got to stop doing this thing where you're calling out your teammates all the time. Like it's their fault when you're the guy. Can you imagine being a younger player on that team and going through any film session if they do it? Like, what do you, you can't say anything. I'm like, actually, that was you, LeBron. Actually, you're the help. You got to help off the corner there. On the high screen with the center and the center crashing, and we're sending two to the ball handler. You're the help on the backside. And then he's late to the center, and then he looks at the other two guys going like, dude, I was on the ball. Like, like you know what the rule is here. So I send that one out, and guess what? All the LeBron stands start firing. Okay, And I'm going to tell you right now, if your avatar is you with a Cavs picture and you work in the media, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest you're a little too close to it to see it clearly. I had one guy, and I'll admit, this pissed me off so bad last night because he was a member of the media, being like, look up whatever, look up this, look up that. You don't know what you're talking about. And here's the thing. Anytime I do this kind of stuff, it means I've been seeing it for a while. Like, I don't see... (sighs) Mark Edwards, the great fullback, run into the end zone and tweet out, Mark Edwards should get more touches, okay? I watch stuff... Over the, I'm, I'm painting pictures and people are doing screen grabs. All right. That's the difference between the way I watch basketball and some of you, not all of you, but let's face it. I've worked with a lot of you and I know most of you are hacks and you don't put in the time and you don't want to be bothered to have to watch games because it's hard. The way I did it is the hard way to do it, to sit there with a legal pad, to sit there and look up lineups, to watch the game at 1 a.m. every freaking night. Okay. That's the hard way to do it. But because when I have a take, and I'm getting a little pissy right now, and I'm sorry, but it's just that I know that this isn't, I don't watch somebody dribble off their foot and go, man, this guy has no handle. I watch this stuff long term. So all you Cavs media members, and I use that term lightly because I can't believe you have a credential, that came at me last night 
to say that I don't understand what I'm talking about. And one guy in particular who said, I need to look up the definition of awful and I need to look up more stats. I did. Just for you. They're even worse than I could imagine. Defensive stats are misleading at times. But like when you're watching the Celtics for a year and you go, is Isaiah Thomas bad on defense? Let me look up just the plus minus. See what that tells me. Oh, he's 460th out of 462 guys that qualify? That's probably pretty bad. Um, LeBron, would you say two years ago, Sarudi, LeBron was considered a pretty good defensive player? Yeah, probably. And he was. He's really good. Now, some people be like, yeah, he had the block in Iguodala. Like, we well, can also have a block on somebody. Like, that's the thing that I've never quite understood, like, when we're having arguments. If I argue with Sarudi, and this happens in sports, if I argue with you that you don't have $200 and then you have $100 in your bank account, you can't come back at me a week later and go, see my bank account? 250 bucks. Yeah, but I wasn't wrong when I told you you didn't have 200 last week. Did that make any sense? I have more than $200. Thank you. So, defensive ratings. All NBA players, 20 minutes more a game. LeBron, and this could be, hey, you could say, hey, the whole team's bad defensively. Yeah, you're, you're cherry picking. All right. He's 463rd out of players that have played 20 minutes per game throughout this season. And the thing is, he's behind guys that have just been traded to the team. Behind Nance, Clarkson, Rodney Hood, I know has missed some time. He's right there with De'Aaron Fox, a rookie point guard. Again, defensive rating. NBA players, 20 minutes or more a game. LeBron rakes 463rd. So you know that his win shares defensively is going to be terrible. He's 355th. He is 18th in real plus minus. All right? So uh, plus minus. Okay, fine. And look, sometimes I am dismissive of defensive stats because I think they can be misleading unless they're all bad, all of them. And then it matches what my eyes tell me. And he's 18th in real plus minus, which is usually reserved for the best players because his defensive plus minus is 425th. Dragon Bender, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Pat Connaughton, Manu Ginobili, all ahead of him. LeBron's tied with Michael Beasley. So I know what you're saying, LeBron fan. Well, that's defensive stats you're cherry-picking. You're being stupid. I actually, again, am only backing up what my eyes say. So if we all agreed that like a couple years ago, LeBron was really good defensively and he had a stretch there, it felt like five or six years, like this guy's really good. He was 11th in defensive plus minus two years ago. So if he was good, and we all agree that he was good two years ago, and you're telling me he's still good now when he's 425th in that same number, doesn't that hurt your argument? Last year he was 52nd. Now you want to tell me it's 15 years in the league, he has to care a little, yeah, you're right. Injuries, yep, you're right. All of those things. Yep, you're right. Is he incapable of playing great defense again? Absolutely not. Totally can. Does he have the top assignment? No. But could he close with one? Yeah. Can he still switch on big guys? Yeah. Is he incredible? Yep. Almost everything I'm going to say about the guy is going to be a raving review. But he's been really bad this season. I've seen it. The numbers back it up. You want to find one that tells me he's good on defense? Feel free, but you can't call out your teammates every possession you guys screw up on defense. And, of course, what happens? 
He finishes with 17 assists, no turnovers, and they're incredible, and I think responsible for 80 other points. So then now I turn into Skip Bayless. No, no, Skip Bayless would go, when LeBron hit a game-winning three in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, he would say, well, Dwayne Wade called out the timeout. You know, he called the timeout so they got the play. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's that's not who I am. I am the truth teller, okay? I'm the one that tells you the entire story. So that leads us to Toronto perfectly. What did I want to do about Toronto? Three years ago, I wanted to take them seriously. Then they got swept by the Wizards. Kyle Lowry shot 2 of 10, 3 of 10, 5 of 22, ooh, 8 for 15, and fouled out. And got some technicals. DeMar DeRozan's playoff efficiency ratings the last three years. His PERs have been 15, 14, 16. We need more out of you. Kyle Lowry's PER the last three years in the playoffs. That Wizards series atrocious. 8, 16, and 16. Um, Let's go field goal percentage. Lowry, I'm surprised it's this high. 21%, 30%, 34%. That's from three. DeRozan, I think, was terrible. Uh, let's see here. Playoffs advanced, playoff shooting. Can we just get three points here? This is getting a little into stat radio. I apologize. Playoffs for game. His three-point shooting, 38%, um, 15%. And then last year, your man DeRozan, well, he didn't take a ton of threes. He shot 60, not 60. Uh, he shot, excuse me, 7%, 0.7%. But he only he only took a couple. He uh, Both those guys have been really bad. All right, those guys have been far below what we wanted them to be. And then when people come at me two years ago and say, well, whatever, they took the Cavs to six games, go back and watch that series. The Cavs were scared of them as they were an early checkout warning from the front desk on a Vegas weekend. Like you, know, you, can, you can say it's 11, but... Well, that was the, what, up 2-0. Then they came back and won two straight, and then they won... And then the Cavs won two straight? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 2-2-2. Two, two, two. Yeah, and everyone was like, oh my goodness. Because they were they were thinking the Cavs are going to roll, and then they lost they were, those two games in Toronto, and you're like, what the heck? No, seriously, man, like talking to people, it was it was, it was was like, yeah, we're going to rest in And I remember series. specifically that... that year you were talking about, I think you said it was three years ago when Lowry just could not shoot from three. Just no, and then he, he freaked out in that Wizards series, too. Yeah. And you're going, alright, so so that's that's the collective here. This is three years of what I see, you can disagree, but what I see is a mentally soft team. And now they have depth. Depth can be overrated for the playoffs, but I don't think you should be dismissed depth guy either, because what depth allows you to do, and it's not about rest here, it's about adaptability. Do I run into a matchup where I have more options? So let's not just look at depth and say depth is stupid to talk about as an asset in the playoffs because it allows you to change based on, the you know, hey, can you stay big when other teams want to go small? Can you match them in small? All right, we've heard a million stories, and they said it a million times last night, about how they've changed their offense. They've gotten out of that isolation, more motion. They had to rethink this whole thing, change the culture. All right, that's great, too. Yes, congrats. Like, I'm pumped about that. I know Raptors fan right now is saying, hey, we had three and four nights. It's on the road. Give me a break. Okay, but Cavs fan is telling you that he's missing all these different pieces. And you had Kevin Love back, and that's a big deal. What I think I'm coming at here, especially with all of Boston's problems, I don't know if any of these teams are any good. Cleveland, I know, is going to stink on defense. Toronto, I know they're top five in offense and defense, and nobody else can say that. They weren't very good on defense either. On the play where LeBron ran the high screen and kicked it to Kevin Love in the right corner, Van Vliet picks Siakam on the screen. Like, that's terrible. Like, you can't do that in that spot. Now, you could say it was just... So, like, there are tons of excuses, 
I don't know what to believe. I don't know if that means that Toronto last night is incredibly mentally weak because they can't get that one on the road, a place where they constantly lose, and everybody's trying to figure out, do I take you for real in year four of this stuff? Because I think a lot of people want to. And then does that mean that Cleveland proved how tough? No, it just proves LeBron's the best in the world. It's like, look, I, I'm just, it's go time for me now. And now I'm going to get it done. And then Boston with all of those injuries and this guard heavy offense, which is great when it's Kyrie, but not so much when it's Rogier. I mean, this is where the Philadelphia thing comes in. And I go, all right, but still, even though Philadelphia is on this roll and it's way beyond what I thought, apology again to Philadelphia. Some of you guys suck, by the way. And I hear from you every single day. But they're the fourth seed. Like, How far are they away from these teams at the top, even though I really, really worry about how Philadelphia closes games because it's it's pretty bad. But now their schedule's so easy. Like, you're going to smoke. Of course you're going to smoke Memphis. I'm telling you right now, we are almost all the way through the season, and I'm starting to wonder if all of those teams at the top of the East, when we thought the East was deeper, is even more than before. And I don't, I really don't know. I could have come on today and say how Cleveland's back. They proved it. I'm not going to say that. I could tell you if Toronto got a bounce their way last night, Toronto proved that they want to, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, come on, Toronto, win that game last night. You know, if you're going to win a game, win that game last night. So, Saruti, feel free to offer up any philosophy. Yeah, listen, and we talked about this today with Will. I, I have never been on the, the Raptors bandwagon. I am totally the, that LeBron. I don't think it seems that good, but they're going to be in the finals again. But I didn't think that last night told me anything about whether or not the Cavs are going to win or the Raptors are going to win. I, I just, I don't, I don't think it really told us much because, like you said, the Raptors three and four nights. Um, All right, but what if, what, like, wait a minute, don't you have a ton of depth? Doesn't that mean, you know what I mean? That's what Will said to me today. And I was like, well, I, I, it's probably not fair, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I can count, I could do this all day long. But DeRozan was so bad. And, but I don't know. Like, like I said, I, I, if the Raptors beat the Cavs in the playoffs, I'm going to tip my cap and clap. And until that happens, I'm not going to give them any credit. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, if my biggest concern about you is not the talent on the roster, and congrats on finally stopping to run ISO every single possession, but my biggest, my biggest thing is like, I just don't know that you're going to, when it comes down to crunch time, make those shots because you've missed them for three playoff years. And I'm not impressed by your six-game series with Cleveland two years ago. I'm just not. It's fake. It's like fake like Boston's one seed last year. It's fake. Yeah, you were the one seed. But historically, you were one of the worst one seeds of all time. And then when it came down to it, even with Isaiah, you know, you can make all the excuses I want. I'm just, I'm not impressed with them. And it kind of comes back to LeBron because when it came time to it, I mean, even all my defensive crap that I just ran through, like that's just a statement of fact about who he is defensively this year. It didn't matter last night. Didn't matter when it clo- when it was closing time. No, and, and those are the two messages that I'm trying to send here. No, and I, I mean, in when when it comes to playoff time, like I'm sure he'll figure it out. Is he going to be a top ten defensive player again? Maybe not. I don't know. But no, I don't he just he, needs to be. He's like not going to be 460th. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, he needs to be aware. And you know, look, I would. I would think as a leader, right, as a a leader of a team, and that's the stuff that's annoying. You got it. You got to like, it's like the it's like blaming Chalmers, but Chalmers isn't there anymore, so he's just doing it to everybody. And I just think it's a bad look, man. I just think it's a bad look. But does it mean anything for them not making it back to the finals? That's what I I don't believe so. No, but that team will get smoked by the team from the West. Def, definitely, definitely. Cleveland. And I'm pro the trades they made. They had to get Isaiah out of there. 
They had to get Crowder out of there too, even though I've always liked Crowder. Um, but I don't think there's any pressure on the Cavs to, to like everybody kind of doesn't think they're that good. Well, so, yeah, if we're doing that, that's fine. But it's just last year, I think there was still a little bit of like because of magic. what happened oh, in yeah, 2016 totally. to close it out. That 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 bag of magic's empty. Like you may, they may get through this whole thing, and that to me will be another feat in itself because of how many straight finals it'll be for LeBron to add to, you know that, and you know if you don't appreciate that, then you're just being difficult with the guy. But that's why I, if that whole 16 seed thing, getting rid of the conferences, I'd love to know in like an alternate universe how far the Cavs would go in that scenario. Uh, Portland would beat them. I think, yeah, I think Portland would. I think, hmm. Uh, I mean, there's continuity. The top two. Like the one, th- I was talking to Neil O'Shea this morning, right? The GM of the Trailblazers. What's up? And it was, it wasn't like, you know, this wasn't trade secrets. So I asked him about, hey, can I say this in the podcast? I'm like, you guys are rolling and, and, you know, just what do you think it is? And we talked about a bunch of different things, but he goes, you know, the thing you guys always seem to miss when you want us to rebuild and rebuild on the fly and reinvent ourselves and change everything is that you've forgotten that basketball, a lot of the success is based on continuity and everybody knowing what they're supposed to be doing. So if you want to do the LeBron excuse stuff, there's a good one for you. All right, so he's had a he's had a, like everybody's got to figure out how everybody plays defensively and where the help is when it's injuries and a new roster halfway through. When four of your eight guys are different, that's really hard. And Portland's point is all our guys are the same. And we figured this thing out. Portland was the worst with Cleveland. They're about the same. They were the two worst defensive teams in the playoffs last year, and Portland since the All-Star break I think that's the split I looked at it. Utah's defensive number since the All-Star break, you think something's wrong with the sortable. You go, wait a minute, that's way too good. Utah would beat the Cavs in a series. I don't know if they'd have enough scores. Spider Mitchell? No, I'm not. I'm not knocking Donovan at all. I'm just saying. Jay Crowder revenge series? (laughs) (laughs) Jay Crowder wants revenge against people that don't even know that he wants revenge against them. Um, I I would feel much better about in the playoffs when it's coming down to it. And we have two guys like Lillard and McCollum. You can, I just think you're at another level than, you know, one guy that's kind of your go-to guy all the time. What else do we need to cover? Anything? This is a long one. I'm surprised you're not, that you didn't want to do that much more on the Kawhi stuff. Trade scenarios. Like he's got to be out. We could do, we could do that later. Yeah. I just really want to talk about like this feeling where I get done with that game last night and go, this is a massive underreaction. I don't know what the hell to do with this outcome. I think if I had to rank, I could rank all the different takes that I would have done on a radio show today. I would have led with, come on, Toronto. But then I would have also said, Cavs defense, like, let's talk about the LeBron thing. It just sucks that you can't, and I, I'm sorry to be repetitive about this, but like, it's incredible that I'll, I'll watch broadcast and go, how, how can you guys not see any of these things that are happening? And then I feel like I want to point it out because I think it's interesting. I'd want somebody else to point that out to me that maybe they saw it. And instead, we turn it into this this war of it's like the quarterbacks with this draft. Like oh, I like Allen. Oh my God! Why do you hate Rosen? You go oh, actually. You know, actually, I think Rosen's the best. But speaking of the new thing, real quick, yeah. Do the Browns take a quarterback at one and four? Schefter said it's not impossible. It is impossible. It's so stupid. And I'm the guy that came on what a month ago and told you that basically more than half the first rounders are locked to be busts. So you're supposed to apply that to take two. That that's being that's being really stupid. That's like saying no one, you know, no one can get a good night's sleep in this apartment. 
So let's all let's save money on mattresses and sleep in the same bed. Like you wouldn't be allowing you'd already be screwing one guy. If you took one at one and another one at four, one guy would get screwed in his development. Think about how much we so hated. Stupid. It's about, so dumb. It's the dumbest thing ever. I'm sorry. Think about how much we hated when the Redskins took RG three, trade up to get him, and then they took Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, and people were like, "Oh, you can't do that." Think about it. Somebody did it with one and four in the first round. Um, so I want to see it happen now. You want to see it happen? Oh well, my god, yeah, yeah. But you don't don't be the guy that you're like, "Hey, if half." Not because I think it'll be successful, just because I just want to see it happen. Right, but if anybody's going, hey, the math says half of them are about, so take two, you're ignoring all the human elements that people seem to be in a rush to just be oblivious to and how sports work. And the best would be if Deep Podesta was still there, and you're like, well, analyst, Oh, Deep Podesta did be incredible. <laughs> It'd be the best. That's actually, I wish, I wish Deep Podesta were still there, and I wish he took two. Because then you just, like, there can't be any sane person that would go, no, no, no. Like, that's when math is dangerous. That's worse than win probability. Okay, Jimmer Fredette, uh, keep downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing the whole thing. I have to be a little obnoxious about it, but to see, um, to see what's going on is, is great. Let me know. I don't know. Do you like the gym? I'm in a bad mood story to start. I mean, I think people want to, want to peel back the layers of Rusillo. Yeah, that's like- kind of an inside little look at what your life is like right now. I just turned my mic off. It took too long. I don't know if he'll remember, but I remember it because it's always one of those things, especially early on in my career, if somebody recognized you or, you know, when it was an athlete. And one of the guys that did it very early on for me was Jimmer Fredette. And Jimmer, we were at the Combine in Chicago for the NBA draft, and that's back when I used to anchor it. And I had right. always kind of, you know, been like, look, Jimmer's good. He's an athlete, you know, and you're just trying to figure out like how you would adapt to the NBA and we'll get to all this stuff then. I, I doubt you remember it or not, but I used to be on the air being pro Jimmer and you, it almost felt like when you looked at me and you said, hello, you either just watched the show because of Van Pelt or you went, hey, that guy's actually been on my side. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of both, actually. A little bit of both. I mean, uh, I used to watch you guys. Uh, uh, Rosillo and uh, Van Pell. I used to watch you guys and, and listen to you guys on the radio and continued through, but I always appreciate a guy that's on my side. So uh, that was a little bit of both for sure. I want to go through all the NBA stuff, the, the highs, the lows, but I do want to start at least getting a better understanding of, of what it's like to be, you know, college player of the year, lottery pick, and what did you just drop? 37 a game in China? Is it 37 a game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what what's this been like for you now a couple years overseas and being incredibly successful, but obviously a detour that you probably never thought you'd take? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a crazy ride. Um, you know, as a as a young kid, you never think that you're gonna end up playing basketball in China. And I honestly never thought I was gonna visit China for any reason. I didn't have a real inclination to go to China, but, you know, after, um, you know, a few, few years in the NBA and things weren't panning out the way that I necessarily had, had seen it going for me. Um, you know, this China opportunity came and Yao Ming, um, came to me with this opportunity and my agent, um, and, uh, asked to, me to, to come play in Shanghai. And, you know, I was like, all right, well, I knew that there was a lot of good players going over to play in China. Um, I knew that they're, the league is getting better and, and uh, they pay well. And, you know, it's a short season. There's a lot of things going for it. Um, but I was nervous at first. And uh, I, I got out there and the fans and the, the, the coaching staff and the Sharks organization 
has treated me really, really well. But uh, it's definitely a different experience than I ever thought that I would have as a professional basketball player. So who's your agent? My agent is uh, Chris Evans with Octagon. Okay, all right. So he reached, Yao reached out to him and starts, now you're at this point, you've been through a bunch of different NBA teams. We're going to get to that, like I said. Yep. Um, but yep. the CBA is the second highest paying deal, right? Like that's the second best league behind the NBA money. Is that correct? Is that generally how it's thought? That of? is correct. All right. So that is correct. Yep. And it's getting better. So how much a Yao in the whole thing of like, hey, trust me on this one? Because I, I get it. Look, I mean, we're. We're not from the exact same area, but we're, we're both, you yeah. know, East Coast. You're from upstate New York, you know, whatever. I mean, like yeah. we kind of understand the area. Like, what's it like when you start going, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I need to do this or I should do this? Yeah. It, yeah. It was definitely a realization, you know, just, um, you know, one night I was, you know, sleeping and I kind of woke up and, you know, just felt a, a inclination that I needed to go to China for some reason. And, uh, which was an interesting feeling. So I woke up that morning and I talked to my wife about it and it was kind of, you know, 50, 50, because I had a, a, a partially guaranteed deal that I could have gone to the back to the NBA and played and kind of worked my way that way, um, and to see what would happen. But I knew that, um, this was going to be a, a solid deal and obviously to, to make money as, as much as I can while I can is a huge part of, of this profession as well to provide for my family. So, you know, I was, I, I, we had we had spoken to Yao, and obviously he he thought it would be a really good situation for me. But I think one of the biggest things is that it was the city of Shanghai, and that's by far, in my opinion, the best city to live in as a uh, Westerner over over there. Some of the other cities that you go to and have to to play in are very difficult to live in. Just they they don't have um, anything Western. There's not much food that 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 you can eat and choose from, and uh, you know the the pollution is is pretty bad in some of the places. And you know it's just difficult from from talking with other players that have played in some of these other cities. So being in Shanghai was something that you know was definitely a selling point as well. I knew I could survive over there pretty well, and and then they needed um, they needed a scorer. They needed a guy to come in and kind of lead their team and score, and uh, that's something that I obviously have done uh, my whole career and I tried to continue to do. So I, I just felt like it was the right fit at the right time. And uh, so far it's worked out really well. How tough is the food for you? <laughs> I'm a, I, see, I'm pretty adventurous to be honest with you with most of the food, but when it comes to some of the stuff over there, it's, I can't, I can't eat it. Like I what? mean, <laughs> some, so there's some things where they have like boiled bullfrog um, on the menu. Oh. And most of the time, so when you understand most of the time when you, you go eat um, it, with the team, it's always provided for you. And a lot of times they have like a round table. So everything's already kind of set out for you. So you don't really have too much of an option to be like, I want this, this, and this, because a lot of times they don't have it anyway. So you'll see different things from boiled bullfrog. I've seen like raw alligator, um, a lot of snake. Um, there was one time where my, my, my teammate ordered barbecue cow brain. Um, a lot of different things that, you know, we're just not used to it. I'm like, I don't know if I can try it. I hope I have a trainer that's been over there for nine years, and he so he kind of knows the ins and outs of what to eat and what not to eat. So if he tells me I can eat it, I'll try it. But if he doesn't say that I can, then I try to stay away from it. Do you eat a lot of fast food then, like American fast food? You can, yeah, for sure. Um, you? A lot of times in other a lot of times in other cities, I'll eat like uh, most of the time I go to is Pizza Hut. A lot of times they'll have a pizza in the place, so I'll just get a, a regular cheese pizza or an American-style pizza, they call it, which is just a pepperoni pizza. So I'll end up getting that quite a bit when I'm on the road. All right. That's that's great because I don't I don't blame <laughs> you on that one. I mean, that that's 
All right, so you you head over there. Yeah. You're probably a little like, what's this going to be like? And then what do you drop? Forty and then fifty in your first two games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually it was. Yeah, in the first two games and and uh, the second game was against uh, one of the best teams in the league, which has uh, Yi in it, who played in the NBA for several years. Um, drafted. Yes, exactly. He's like Jack yeah, so now, he's, right? Oh, he's unbelievable. He's he's physically just he's huge. He looks great. Um, you know, I think he's in his low, low to mid thirties, but he still looks, he, I mean, he looks great. He's athletic. He can still shoot it. I mean, for over there, having him is like having a third import on their team so that they're always so good because they have him and then they got two other imports. And so, I mean, it's, yeah, he's, he's very good for that league. Okay. So that's right. You can have two imports. So you're one of them. Who's the other guy? Who's the other import for Shanghai? With you? This year was a, a guy named Nick Minerath who played at Detroit Mercy a little while back, and uh, has played overseas mostly for his, his career. And uh, he's about a six nine shooter, good do you, player. Do you guys immediately become best friends because you're both American guys? <laughs> uh, uh, pretty much, you know what I mean? I mean, we, we, we drive in the same car together. They pick us up, um, you know, at the same time, and we drive together. And then we come back, and we live usually in, in the same or around the same apartment complex. So uh, since I had been over there for a year already, um, he reached out to me once he got signed and, um, you know, asked me about different things um, that he needed for China. Um, and he had a wife that was coming over with him and just kind of the, the layout, what he needed. So we became a little bit of, uh, acquainted before I even got over there. And then once we got there, we uh, were we were good friends. You know, I, I, we, we, we hit it off. But sometimes, you know, I mean, you're definitely more friends with the American because you're with them more. You can speak with them a lot easier. But uh, there's some guys that don't that don't mesh well, you know, just being teammates and they just don't click. You know what I mean? So it, it depends. But Nick was a was a good uh, was a good guy for me to have on the team. Now, basketball wise, your team and I'm, I mean, I guess this is weird, but like, let's say what's what's a really good what's a good team that you played in in college? I don't know if it's the Kansas game um, when you were at BYU. Yeah. Uh, like, would, would we that played, uh, we played Louisville? We played um, North Carolina my freshman year. Uh, Played, played some really good teams. Okay, so with the best team in the CBA, how would they do against like a really good North Carolina, really good Kansas team at the college level? Who would win? You know, so that would be that would be uh, it would be a, it would be a pretty good game to be honest with you. Most of the Chinese guys, uh, there's some, some of the top teams are pretty good. Like I said, the team with Yi, um, and then two imports, and they have three or four other guys that actually play on the Chinese national team. Um, on, and the best teams usually have that. So I'd say the best teams, it would be a really competitive game. Um, you know, Tyler Hansborough actually played over in, in China this year. So if you played, you know, that UNC team and those guys would wash each other out. But then the other guys, um, I would say the North Carolina starting five would probably be more talented. Um, but the Chinese guys play well as a team. They're big. Older, you know. They play together all the time. They're older. And they what the things that the Chinese guys could do is really shoot the ball. They're, most of the guys are really good catch-and-shoot guys. And then they play physical, tough defense. So I mean, it would it would be a really really good game. But I'd say that's about the level it is. The really talented, the Division One basketball team, or maybe a little better. So you've you've told me, and I've read this now about like the different road trips. Now you were playing. Give me give me the city. It's like on the almost North Korean border, and like, <laughs> you start to walk in, and it feels like the hotel's what like a jail cell. Like how bad does it get sometimes? <laughs> and it's not like knocking Shanghai or the, the traveling secretary here, but. I imagine there are certain no. moments that it's a wake-up call that, like, this ain't the NBA. 
Oh, for sure. And when I first got over there, I mean, so the one thing about the, uh, the CBA is that the opposing team puts you up in a hotel. So oh, sometimes man. the opposing That's team the will worst. put you up in a, in a, they'll put you up in a bad hotel on purpose. They used to do that a lot. And um, so they, they cleaned it up a little bit with the last couple of years that when Yao took over as the commissioner of the league, he told everybody, you have to stay at at least a four-star Chinese hotel. But the four-star Chinese hotel, the low end, sometimes is, sometimes are pretty pretty tough still. So the, the first time that I went over to the, the place you're talking about is a place called Jilin. And uh, it's about 40 minutes from North Korean border. And I got there, and I went into the bathroom, and I, I opened up the curtain. It was just there was just bugs all over the the, the floor of the the tub coming out of the coming out of the tub, and I was just like, oh my gosh, it's going to be one of these. And uh, you walk in, it's just really dim lighting. There was only one light, real dim. Uh, the TV was, you know, it only had about five stations, and it was all the Chinese stations. And then um, I was I was scared to actually like sleep under the covers, so I just slept over over the covers with a sweatshirt on and uh you know just just did it like that because i didn't i didn't want to you know risk anything i was like there's bugs in the shower i don't know if there's bugs in the bed or anything like that so some of the teams will put you up in places like that just to get in your head and uh that was one of them what's has there ever been a moment where you've been scared like is there anything over there that you've gone okay wait a minute this is a little weird um, no, actually, I, there's not been an op- a place where, you know, I felt like it was just where I was super scared. I will say, I guess, well, let me, let me change it. I guess there was one time. So we play in a, a place, um, in, uh, called Xinjiang and, uh, it's really close to Kazakhstan. And, uh, so we're over there and there's a lot of, uh, Muslim, there's a lot of Muslim population over in, in, in there in that area. Mm-hmm. So um, we went over there, and they're very highly uh, secured over there. So before we actually uh, played the game, um, there were, like, these dogs that came in with police officers, and they were sniffing around the arena, and I was like, what's going on? I was like, I didn't know exactly what was going on. They kicked everybody off the court so that the dogs could go on the court, and they were going to the stands, and they said that they were actually sniffing for any type of, like, bomb or anything like that that could be in the arena. And I heard that, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's not usual for a basketball game. You don't really hear that too often where uh, something like that would happen. But uh, so that was the only time where I was like, ah, oh, that's a little, that's a little odd. That's a little weird. But other than that, I mean, China is a pretty safe place and I never have felt, you know, real harm or danger anywhere. How much do they love you because you seem to embrace it more than, and I want you to talk a little bit about your coach here. Cause I was reading about him and, and tell us who he is, but he, yeah, I re- read some stuff where he felt like, like a lot of American guys, like that's the end of the rope for them. They don't care. Guys showing up drunk to games, smoking cigarettes outside during timeouts. Like how, how much have you been embraced? Maybe because you look at this as an opportunity where other players from America have looked at it as like the end of the road. For sure. I've tried to embrace it as much as I possibly can. And, and, and part of that's just kind of my personality in general. Um, you know, I try to go over there and, and uh, obviously just try to treat people with, with respect and is, uh, you know, just like, just like anybody else. So that's, that's partly it. And then the other reason is, you know, I felt like there's a really great opportunity for me to go over here and really make a name for myself. I mean, China has the most basketball fans in the world. You know, there's like 500 million basketball fans in China. And they, they follow the NBA, and they love the NBA, um, but they also love the CBA, and they follow their Chinese players and all the guys that are you know involved in that league. So I felt like being in Shanghai and being one of the biggest cities 
Um, it's like being in New York in um, in the uh, in the U.S. and the in the NBA. So I was like, I have an opportunity if we make our team become better and make the playoffs and maybe make a run towards you know championships and kind of turn this franchise around that there would be a lot of off-the-court opportunities for me as well, especially if I embraced the, the culture and maybe learned a little bit of the language and learned a little bit of what, you know, the Chinese people are all about. Um, so I was trying to take that all in and be, be smart as, as far as a basketball player, but also for, you know, different op- uh, off-the-court opportunities. And uh, so my coach, uh, his name is Brian Gorgian, and uh, he's a great guy and uh, one of the best coaches I've had. But he, he is from the U.S., but coached for the Australian national team for, for years and years in the Olympics. So he's a great coach, but he told me when I first got there, he's like, this fits your style of basketball really well. I mean, they want you to just go in there and shoot the ball and score for them and, you know, try to help their team uh, towards the playoffs. But they want you to score the basketball. And I was like, all right, that's something I can do. I'll go out there and just shoot and play and uh, do what I do. And uh, it's worked out really well, and he was right about that. Yeah, you've been doing that, um, no doubt. Okay, so you have a sneaker line, right? I do, I do. How I do, do. I, how do I get my hands on a pair of Jimmers then? What's it called? What are we talking about here? Yeah, so the the first, so it's it's, it's interesting. So we're we're trying to uh, work with the the three six one China to to get my shoe um, sold over in America next year. Um, so this year they weren't able, they, for some reason, we weren't able to get the shoe actually in stores or online over here in America, but it's being sold in China and it sold, it sold pretty well. So it's with 361, uh, which is a Chinese based company. And, uh, they have some, um, some American line brands and everything over here, but mostly it's, um, the running shoes and running apparel over here, but they're going to bring hopefully the basketball shoe over here as well next year. Um, so hopefully people will like the style, like it, and uh, be able to pick up a pair um, sometime, you know, before the season next year, and then throughout the whole the whole rest of the year. But um, it, it's it's pretty surreal to have uh, your own basketball shoe. You know, you go to these um, you go to these different events uh, and talk about your shoe and talk about what style you want and uh, how it fits your foot and you know different designs and everything and. You know, as a basketball player, that's as good as it gets. So uh, I wouldn't have had that opportunity over in the NBA and here in America. So to have it in China just is uh, its a real blessing, and it's been a lot of fun. So let's go back to being selected 10th overall. You're traded on draft night. You're rights to the Kings. You're college player yeah. of the year. You know, basically 30 a game at BYU. We're trying to figure out, like, how you're going to fit in, and you end up with what I would say is probably one of the worst, if not the worst-run organization in the NBA in the last However many years. You don't have to agree with me. You can if you want to. I know you're a really nice guy, so you're probably <laughs> going to refrain from wanting to do that. Take me back to, to what that was like to be a rookie on that team with the expectations that you know, I'm going to play in this league a long time. For sure. You know, I mean, that's what that's what you always think about as a, as a young basketball player. You're always like, well, I'm going to be rookie of the year, and then I'm going to go on and, you know, be a great player and be an all-star and all these things. And that's the mentality you have to have if you want to be successful no matter what but everybody else is thinking that as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely different for me. Um, I came from a, a BYU where we had great team camaraderie. Um, everything was really well organized and well run. And, and, uh, we just had, we had a, it was like a well-oiled machine. Everything was, was working the way it was supposed to. And, 
you know, I was playing well and we had a great team and everything was good. And then you go to Sacramento and, you know, it was kind of in, in uh, <laughs> that's the nicest Lumbo. way to you know, say, it was, it was, that's the nicest way to say Sacramento's a mess. Like how much of it, like, <laughs> I know it was a mess. I know it was going, like how much of it, like, tell me about being part, being on that team. Like what were the things that were happening? We're like, you've got to be kidding me. This is an NBA team. Well, it was like, like two weeks into my, you know, into my rookie year, um, our coach got fired. And um, so he was the, the coach that, that Westfall? drafted me. And the, yes, Paul Westfall. So he got dra- I, he drafted me, and then he got fired. And, and as soon as that happens, obviously things can completely change. But at that time, um, the Maloofs were trying to sell the, sell the Kings. You know, it was during that whole limbo. So the Maloofs weren't around very much, um, really running the whole organization. They just weren't around very much. And uh, Jeff Petrie was there, and uh, he didn't know exactly – exactly what was going to be ahead and everything like that as well. And then we had an interim um, coach come in with Keith Smart, um, who, who did the best he possibly could, but with everything in flux, everyone didn't know what was going on. And uh, so it was, it was definitely a, a, a tough time to be, you know, with, with the Kings and, you know, with that organization. And I think that, you know, because of that, it kind of, you know, melt, I mean, God went onto the court a little bit, you know what I mean? Where, you know, guys, we were playing a little bit. Um, I would say we weren't or- as well organized as we should have been. And, you know, there was just different things that were, were going on that weren't necessarily like what, what I thought the NBA would be like. Like you what? Know what I mean? You know, just just different scuffles and things like that during practice, um, you know, where we just didn't have a whole lot of great leadership, specifically um, from the players and you know what I mean? We didn't have a, a ton of veteran guys that would just come out and, and say, hey, this is the way that we need to do things and we need to run this our organization like this. If we want to be a winning team, we got to do this. And uh, so that, I mean, I think that that's a big part of it, um, being in the NBA, that the players have to really buy in and they have to know how to, to play and to run a team, uh, not necessarily on their own, but they need to know how to do it and they know how, need to know how to work together as a team to, to do that, to be a good team in the NBA. And uh, I didn't feel like in Sacramento it was, uh, it, it was that case at that time. And, um, you know, I think they've, they've gotten better and better as, as time has gone on. But it was just kind of a, a different period where they're in flux trying to figure everything out. I know you're not. All right, I tried. I tried to get this specific, but I know. I know you're not going to do it for me. And I, 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 so yeah, I can't right. do that. True or false? Boogie Cousins punched a teammate in practice. <laughs> um, that's false. Didn't punch. Not not that I saw. Not that I saw. Staff member. True or false? <laughs> Staff member also false. All right. No, they they he's he's they've gotten in scuffles, but I never saw any any real punches. You never saw a punch thrown. All right. So, how many times did you and Boogie have a one on one about leadership on the road in a hotel? (laughs) Oh, not too much. (laughs) Not too much. So, I love I love uh, love Demarcus, and he's he's uh, he's a real jokester. Like like when he's off when he's off the floor and everything, like he's he's personable. People like to be around him. He's funny. Uh, he jokes around, and um, you know he's really, really fun to be around uh, when he's off the floor. So he was, he, me and him got along pretty well um, and off the floor. But uh, you know, he's uh, there are some times where we definitely disagreed when we were playing. All right, all right. That you know what the thing is too is all the guys that love Boogie 
are going to get mad at me for asking you those leading questions on the first time through. But you were with the team. You were with the team. What two years? I was with uh, two and a half years. Two and a half. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. All right. Yep. So, um, all right. I, I uh, the defense rests on that one, or maybe the prosecution should rest on that one because it's it's making me sound like the jerk here um, by doing that. But I think everybody realizes like it was. You could see it on the court, and then when you change the coaches that many times, so, all right. So you move on, and. I don't know. I mean, are you thinking, okay, well, it was just Sacramento. They didn't use me the right way. And, and now, like, what, you gonna? You ended up being with the Bulls after you got cut? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I got bought out. Yep. Um, so at that trade deadline, I, we thought that I was going to get traded at that deadline. Because other teams yeah. wanted to trade for you, by the way, too. Like, I knew that there were other yeah. teams that wanted to trade because they were, oh, it's he's in Sacramento. You know, no kidding. Right. right. Yeah, no, there were. There were two teams that were trying to trade me, and I thought I was going to get traded at that point. Um, and for some reason, not exactly sure what happened, but the, the trades fell through. Um, and because of that, you know, we talked with my agent, talked with the, the Sacramento, and they were just going in a different direction at that point. They had drafted a couple of guards, and, you know, new coaching staff was coming in, which was which was fine. You know, that's, that is what it is. It's the business. And so we made a buyout agreement, and I felt like going to the Bulls was – was going to be a good opportunity for me. So I got there and, and uh, you know, I didn't play, didn't play very much with the Bulls. They kind of had their rotation set and Tibbs is uh, a guy with his rotation. He's, he's going to keep it going as, as long as he possibly can. And um, so I didn't play a ton with the Bulls. I had some games where I, other guys couldn't play where I played. Like that's the thing with Tibbs. You would play, you wouldn't play much at all, but if another guy was hurt in front of you and he threw you in there, you'd play a 35 minutes. <laughs> So it's kind of uh, kind of funny how that that works, but I uh, had a pretty uh, good time with the Bulls. Uh, definitely a, a different um, organization um, at the time than Sacramento was, which was fun to see and fun to be a part of. I think the one that probably hurt the most for you, though, had to be San Antonio because you go, all right, because the Spurs have had these things over the years. Like I remember when they were trying to get Tyus Thomas. I don't know if you remember him, LSU yeah. kid, top yeah. top pick for sure. there for Chicago. And then it's yep. like if if the Spurs want a lottery pick that hasn't worked out somewhere else, maybe the Spurs are on to something. So the Spurs bring you in after, let's see here, Bulls eight games, Pelicans. Um, you sign with the Spurs in the summer of 2015, and they cut yep. you, what, a week before the season starts? I, I feel like going yep. back on it, that's the one that had to hurt the most. Definitely. You know, that was the, that was the first time, um, you know, where I was actually – like cut from a team before the season started. You know what I mean? Like all the way growing up, I'd never been cut from a team um, in, until um, I was with the Spurs. And uh, Coach, you know, Coach Pop called me into his office, you know, before a preseason game. And, you know, as soon as that happens, you know, your stomach, you know, goes into knots and your heart drops a little bit. And you're like, uh, I think I know what's coming here. So he was, he was great about it. Um, you know, I had a, a great time with the, with the organization and learned a lot. And it was fun to see that organization, but at the same time, it it really it really did hurt. And at that point, it was like, all right, well, you know, can't feel sorry for myself. It's it's time to pick myself up and figure out what I'm going to do at this point. Uh, did how different was Pop than any? And this isn't a knock on anybody else, but like we all are in awe of Pop, the head coach. And you know, there's a lot of people who tell you he's the one that picks out the player that he wants as as well as RC does. So that it's not sure. like he's just executing this. He's he's the, he's the guy for this whole thing. How sure. what what's the most 
enlightening thing you came across dealing with Popovich and dealing with the Spurs to realize why they're so different and why they're so successful? Man, you know, it was the thing that really stood out to me. Well, besides the team camaraderie, I mean, Tim, the thing about the, you know, Tim Duncan, why he's so great. He was, he was there during all of the summer workouts that I was there at, you know what I mean? And he didn't have to be there. I mean, he's been in the league for what, 20 years and, and he was there at all of those workouts leading them and, and working out with the guys and playing. And I mean, that type of commitment and, and, and energy that goes into that gym is, is amazing because, you know, all of those guys, Tim and, and Manu and those guys were there the whole time and just, you know, took that leadership role really seriously. But with Pop, you know, he, he's, they're so big on rest over there, as everyone knows. But it's, it's funny because, you know, when you are, you know, a guy like me who is trying to impress and trying to make the roster, you know, after, the, after practice is over, you know, you want to get some shots up, work out with a coach, whatever it is, you know, try to show them that you're invested and that you want to get better. But there are some times when you were, you know, in a, in, in a summer or a training camp or whatever, after the practice is over, they said no one is shooting any shots. doesn't matter who you are, you're done. Get out of the gym, go stretch, go with our trainer. No one is shooting any shots today. And uh, which was surprising to me because I never had a team say that before where they just basically just kicked everybody out of the gym and said, hey, you know, it's time for you guys to rest, get yourself ready to go come back tomorrow refreshed or rejuvenated. We don't need you guys, you know, necessarily taking these fake shots is what they used to like to call them. So uh, I thought that that was, that was pretty <laughs> that, cool. That is pretty cool. So I'm going to make a statement here. So it's not really a question and I want you to kind of go off of that. So because, okay. you know, the draft is my favorite thing and I was probably doing it as an amateur, you know, in the beginning when I worked in Boston, but I just, I just liked it. I, I wanted to try to figure out like, what do these people see when they watch basketball that the rest of us don't see, like what are the decisions makers or what do the decision makers see? And I think I've learned about this in a lot of different aspects of life is that once you get really close to it, it's not really as complicated or as different as, as people make it out to be. I mean, you've watched thousands and thousands of hours of basketball, you pick up things. And when I watch you your last year at BYU, you get 30 a game. And I don't think people remember this, but you average over four assists per game the last three years you were there, um, and yep. you know you didn't. That's those are the three years you played. Another thing about BYU guys, as we all know, with the LDS and people going away, that sometimes got like people remember like, oh, Jimmer is one of those BYU guys. Well, you were only twenty one as a senior, which is kind of actually unheard right. of at BYU. Um, so right. it wasn't like you were an old <laughs> senior coming out. Uh, yeah. And when I'd watch you, I go, okay, look, he's he's more athletic than you think, which is code for white guy, but whatever. I mean, it's what everybody says. Of course. <laughs> um, you were also, were you not, was it the top-ranked wide receiver in the state of New York when you were in high school as a junior, or was that a division-based thing, or were you the overall top wide it receiver? Was, yeah, no, it was the statewide. I was first-team all-state wide receiver as a, as a junior. Every division, every size school? Yep, all size schools, yep. Who offered you in college football? Um, actually Penn State came in and, and spoke to my, uh, to my coach at, uh, at, um, my junior year at, at Glens Falls. And, uh, I, I, he came up to me and told me that the coach came and I was very flattered by it. You know what I mean? And that was when people were starting to, to come in, but I just told coach, uh, coach Lilac, I was just like, sorry, I'm, I honestly have no interest in playing football. So if they come and, <laughs> but um, I'm not, but I'm not the number one receiver. Wait. 
Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I'm just – I'm not interested. I, I love basketball. That's my th- – I mean, I love football on Friday Night Lights, to be honest with you. I mean, it was great whether it's Saturday morning or Friday Night Lights, but I honestly – I hated football practice. Couldn't have done it <laughs> at a college level. And, uh, you know, I knew that right from the get-go. So I just – I didn't want the coaches to come and, like, waste their time and, and their energy and their resources to try to come get me because I just knew that I wasn't going to be playing football. <laughs> okay, all right. So – you know, the, the more athletic than you think thing is, is stupid, but I kind of laugh at it, but it's, it's kind of like the language that evaluators look at. So then I'd watch you and I go, okay, the thing that I'm concerned about with Jimmer, as I would say this on the air, is I go, I don't know any NBA team that would let him approach the game the way he's allowed to approach the game his senior year. And sure. you shot 44% from three your junior year, but then you took twice as many threes, which I think wasn't necessarily a knock on you. It wasn't being selfish. It was just, hey, this is the way we need to play. And it was actually at the college level, it was working. So when Trey Young is brought right. up, and a lot of people freaked, and when I said, Trey Young actually reminds me of Jimmer, and then morons acted as if I didn't know there was a difference between a freshman and a senior, and the fact that <laughs> Trey had more assists than you do. And I think you and I would both admit that Trey's a better passer, but... Yeah. I, I worry when I watch Trey and then I think about you and go, how can the coach take the things about this player that's really good and make him fit? And that's what I thought San Antonio was going to be able to do is that, all right, the right. Jimmer from BYU, it's not that Jimmer isn't good. It's that no one's going to let him play this way. How can we figure out a way to let him play? And like, that's why I always worry about kind of the high volume, big number guys in college, especially if you're on the smaller side. For sure. No, I, I completely understand that. I, I completely agree. It's, it's a, it's a different game uh, once you get to the NBA. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of these teams already have their superstars, you know, and some teams are still looking for some guys and some superstars to come in and lead their team. But um, not, not always. That's not always the case. So sometimes you just have to fit into a role, into a mold, and then gain more and more trust from your teammates and your coach staff. And then eventually maybe you can turn into, you know, that superstar. But um, it usually doesn't happen right away. And specifically, you know, with me, since I was um, used to playing a certain way, obviously when I got to the NBA, I didn't think that I was going to just go out and play like that, to be honest with you. I knew that um, they wanted me to go score and they wanted me to play and because that's my ability. But I knew that I wouldn't have the same volume of shots or have the ball in my hands quite as much. So I had to, to work on that and try to do the best that I could to you know, play off the ball a little bit more, whereas in college I was playing on the ball a lot. Um, so, you know, I think Trey, you know, has to, to definitely you know, get that in his mind depending on where he gets drafted and who his coaching staff is and what type of situation he gets into. But, um, you know, I always saw myself as where I could kind of play that BYU role but at a, at a lesser role if I was a guy that, you know, was like a sixth man like a Jamal Crawford type or, you know, Isaiah Thomas when he was with the Kings type where they would come in and on that second unit, they gave him the ball and said, Hey, go do your thing for, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game. If you're going 25 minutes a game and if you're going, you know, we'll, we'll let you go. But if not, you know, we'll take you out and we have our other rotation. in. so that's kind of how I see myself now or, or I had saw myself when I was coming into the league. Um, Obviously it didn't work necessarily out that way but I still think that that would be the type of role that I've filled hopefully Trey um, will be able to fill a much bigger role than that and be a great player and a great star in this league how um are, are NBA teams reaching out to you now that the playoffs are done for your CBA team yeah so they, they we had some some guys that reached out 
um, to me. I told this year, I told Maiden, I'm, I'm going to not actually uh, listen to, to the offers that, especially if they're 10 days. Now, if there was a team that came and uh, that wanted to, you know, talk about having the end of the year deal through the playoffs, that would, that would be something different. But most of the teams that were coming to us were mostly 10 day deals. Um, and I just didn't want to, to do that at this point because I am committed for one more year with the Sharks. Um, so hopefully after um, the next season, we'll see uh, what happens as far as NBA teams are concerned. What's the funniest thing anybody ever said to you, maybe your rookie year, second year when you were in the NBA? Another guy trying to talk smack to you. <laughs> uh, try and talk smack to me. Ugh. There has to be something that maybe um, it was really mean. Like, what's the thing that you remember the most? You're like, man, that guy just tried to torch me. <laughs> um. A lot of guys tried to torch me for sure. Not not everyone, you know, not everyone, you know, said it or anything, but they just by their actions um, would would try to come after me. Um, I think you know Chris Paul was was definitely one of the best uh, you know trash talkers in the league. And every you know every time if I was guarding him, they they he would he would be like, all right, give me the ball, give me the ball. I'm going at him, I'm going at him. You know what I mean? That type of stuff where they were just like. You know this guy can't guard me. He can't play at this level, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna show him that he can't. And uh, but that's the fun part of it for me. I mean that's the competitive part. That's the competitive spirit. A lot of guys used to try to bully me and post me up because I was guarding bigger guys a lot of times. Um, so they would do that. They would throw me in the post and you know just try to go after me. And you know you got to show them that you can you can play at that level. And you know game maybe give them a foul or two or something like that. Whatever it took to make them you know, respect you a little bit more. And that's just kind of what they're, they're trying to test you and see, see what you're going to do to see how you're going to react. And, uh, you know, you just got to be prepared for that. So there's not one, there's not one line that sticks out more than the other. It's just, <laughs> I'm really, open. Not, not, <laughs> not, not necessarily that I can, that I can like think of that was like really that bad. I, I don't think most guys were, were trash talking to me because I didn't really say too much. I kind of was just, I'm just pretty quiet. I'm assuming I don't think most guys were, were out to get me, but uh, I, I'm sure if I said something that they would come, they would have come after me a little bit more. <laughs> so you just, you were quiet. Okay. So I want to end on this note because I think that, you know, as you grow up and, you know, I've, you know, not achieved anything like you have, but you, you kind of change what success can be. You know, you start to maybe get a little bit older, you have more responsibilities, and you go, can I not lower the ceiling, but can I change what this is? And when I think about you making good money in the CBA, I mean, putting up huge numbers, the crowd loving you, you know, finding the business stuff off the court, which can be more lucrative, but yet still holding on to this this NBA thing, which I'm not, I don't want to make that sound negative, but like when I was reading about you alone in your apartment in Shanghai and the wife and your your what one-year-old daughter is, is back in Colorado yeah. it yeah. was it was sad like I felt a little sad for you even though in a way it's like man I would love nothing more than if I couldn't play in the NBA to go over to China and like how do you deal with for sure how do you deal with those moments where you're by yourself it's not you're not living the dream you want to, but it's still pretty good. But like you're, you're, you are by yourself in this foreign country kind of like, how do you deal with all that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I've been, it, I, I had to, you know, had to kind of take a step back and think about that. And, um, for me, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you just have to really put everything in perspective. Um, you know, my, the most important thing for me, 
as a person is, is my family, to provide for them, and to ultimately be the best person that I could be and try to treat people with, with kindness and respect. And I think for me, since that's the biggest thing and most important to, thing to me, everything else, you know, is, is secondary, uh, including my, in my profession. So obviously, like I said, the, the, the basketball didn't work out in the NBA the way that I wanted it to or the way that I saw it happening. But, you know, that happens to a lot of people in their professions, not just professional athletes, not just basketball players. You know, they, they sometimes don't reach their dreams, and you've got to kind of reroute and make the best of your situation. And, um, and then I think, sit back and think about it. I'm like, you know, I'm playing professional basketball for a living. I'm making a great living. And to be honest with you, I'm making way more over in China than I would be making right now in the NBA if I was in on the NBA in a minimum deal or something like that. So you think about all those different aspects and you're like, you know, I honestly probably am way more popular over in China than I ever would be in the NBA if I was a, you know, seventh, eighth man on the bench or whatever it would be. I'm a star over here in China. And, and over there, there's so many people that a lot of people know you. And, uh, you know, and because of this, because I've been able to kind of show what I could do again and play really well, a lot of people in the U.S. have, have taken notice of that as well. And I think it's been funny for, been fun for me to watch kind of the uh, impression of me when I left the NBA is like, ah, oh, he should never, should have never been in the NBA. He shouldn't have been a top pick. Shouldn't have well, been the guys that said that, the guys that said that, I read that and I hated that. Like plenty of people, it doesn't work out for him. People took it so personally with you. And I thought that was so unfair. Sorry to interrupt, but it yeah. was just, it was BS. No. Like, yeah, all right, fine. Maybe it didn't work out. But like for somebody to say yeah. he shouldn't have gone in the top 60 picks, like that's a joke. Right. For sure. No, and I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, that's just, that's people being people, you know, whatever it is, they just kind of feel like they were right. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. they were watching me like, Oh, he's not going to work out. So it's kind of their ego kicking in saying, yeah, I was right about that and making people know about it. But, but like I said, I mean, um, you know, now that, you know, I sit back and look at it, I think a lot of the narrative has kind of changed on my career where I was like a lot of people saying that I couldn't play, but now everyone's like, wow, why is he not back in the NBA playing? And uh, because they see the numbers that I'm putting up again, see what I'm doing again. So it's kind of funny how the narrative has changed a little bit, which has been fun for me to see as well. But, um, but ultimately, you know, I, I have a great life. I'm very blessed. Um, and I have a healthy family. And uh, I, I love being a dad. It's been a lot of fun. So you kind of put things into perspective, and it, it helps you cope with, with anything, any of the trials that come in your life. You know what I think may be surprising to some people is because, you know, you went to – BYU, you were LDS growing up, right? Before, I mean, you were... I was. Uh, right, and you haven't mentioned it, and yet, you know, I'm not a, a religious person, um, but I, I've gotten older where, like, Bill Walton may have stole this this line from John Wooden in that it wasn't... You yeah. know, I asked, I asked Bill Walton a question about music once, and he said, it's not what inspires us, it what it's that we are allowing ourselves to be inspired. And I was like, wow, that's actually right. really good. So... I always feel like if somebody is is more religious than I am and it helps them, then who am I to judge? And I cannot right. be religious, but I can. But you haven't referenced it yet at all, which I actually think maybe is going to be surprising to people that throughout all of these challenges, I'm sure that's been a big part of your life, but you weren't necessarily sharing it here. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not huge on you know just uh, you know throwing my beliefs or anything like that onto to people. Like kind of like you said, you know, people believe or you know do what they do off the court to to have a happy life and to maintain a lifestyle, do whatever that that it is. It's not my place to necessarily force that on anybody, um, in my opinion. But at the same time, it helps mold me as a person and as a professional athlete. For sure. It's a huge part of my life. And, um, you know, that's the way I was raised and the way that, you know, I'm trying to raise my kid and and my family. So it's definitely a huge part of my life. But yeah, like you said, just, you know, I kind of, you know, keep it, keep it quiet and, and do as I do. Okay. Final thing. And it's a proposal. Do you want to, for people that subscribe, download the podcast, can we give away some shoes? Can we give away some windbreakers? Can I enter to get it for debt? Jersey from the Sharks. I could trade you some Rosillo show gear. Yep. Do you want to do that? Hey, of, of course. I got. I, honestly, today I just got a big shipment from three sixty one in just right. today, as 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 before the show. So yes, of course. Well, let's do let's do a giveaway, and and I'll get you in uh, Saruti. I'll make sure to get you guys. Uh, so my just real quick. Sorry, my my nickname over in China is Jimo Dashen, which is which means the lonely master. Um, over here in, in China. And uh, it's funny because lonely, I guess, for them, for this meeting means that you're kind of on top by yourself and no one can get to that level. So it's a real uh, great uh, nickname. So it's on all my signature gear. So my shoes and my, my tops and everything. So I'll make sure to send you guys and have a giveaway for the Gmo Dashen t-shirts. I love it. So they chant Gmo, right? Like really, like, and it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, they say Gmo because they can't really pronounce Jimmer that well. They can't pronounce that, um, so they say Gmo, just just as a pronunciation. And it happened to be that Gmo in Chinese means lonely. So uh, I got that pretty quickly when I was over there, which is funny. So yeah, you'll, you'll hear in the the crowd, they'll just be like Gmo, Gmo, <laughs> which is kind of funny. All right, this is awesome, man. Look, um, I appreciate you having an interest in anything I've done here the last few years, uh, and you reaching out to me, and then. As soon as we had this thing work out, and I said, "Like, hey, Jimmer's interested in maybe doing it," and I, I always had a segment idea once a week for the radio show where I wanted to do like a checking in on on whatever college stud was now playing in Turkey, but everybody voted me down yeah. because, like, for the most part, it just wasn't going to be newsy enough. But let's uh, sure. let's keep in touch and and see how this whole thing's going, and then I'll work out the details with you on the giveaway, and we'll do it all on Twitter. All right. Sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to. Anytime you guys want me on the, the show or the podcast, I, I'd love to be on. I'm a big fan of you guys' work, so uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, and enjoy Colorado, all right? I will. I will. My dad, coming up next week, one more event pelt before I head out to the West Coast or the mountains if I don't have a house. We will also do the Jimmer giveaway. We'll explain it all on Twitter, and we're going to hook you up with some sick Shanghai gear, which is going to be awesome at festivals this spring. 